Hello everyone and welcome to BYOB, which is Bring Your Own Blockbuster. If you're joining us for the first time, it's such a pleasure to have you along. If you've been here since the start or you've played catch up and listened to all the episodes, thanks so much for joining us again. And thanks so much for, for whizzing through all of the episodes. It's been so much fun so far. I'm joined as ever by... <laughs> Uh, a gargantuan character within the podcast scene, Mr. Jack William Hussey. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks, mate. How, how are you getting on? Yeah, good. Um, I mean, this is a, another one of those weeks where I'm absolutely delighted that we're talking about films and not about football. Oh. Um, and I, there was something I was meant to ask you because you have been busy recently. What was it that you had done this weekend? Fill me in. I've been on a, a stag do, a stag, stag, stag. That was it, stag do. Yeah, How yeah, was it? Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good. It was good fun. Nice, um, nice group of lads. I don't really know many of them. It's my brother-in-law to be's stag, and they kindly invited me along. So, if you've seen the film Bridesmaids, I was the Melissa McCarthy character in that equation, um, <laughs> sitting the on the of, sink. Yeah, yeah. The, the kind he of, always does this. <laughs> Quietly strange hanger on, but you know it was it was good. Yeah, good good group of lads. A few a few uh, a few sherbets were had, you know. Sure, but sure. It's uh, yeah, nice. I'm, I'm recovering don't, a little bit now, but it's it's okay. Don't you think stag do's are one of the most bizarre? And this is in no way a reflection of the weekend that you've just had, mm. but just in general, stag do's and hen do's are the most bizarre experiences in terms of the collection of people because oh, yeah. everyone comes from like different sort of backdrops in the person's life, so you don't mm. really know each other. Then suddenly you're thrust into a situation where usually people have drunk a lot in a very short space of time. And then suddenly you're very familiar with people that 24 hours ago you had no idea who they were. Yeah, it, 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 it's nice, isn't it? Because you kind of, well, it's not always going to be nice. But in this, in this instance, it was nice because I found that I had a certain commonality with all of the lads present. And it kind of oh, made me think, brilliant. my sister's, you know, she's met a good guy. You know, he, he, oh. Dan, if you are listening, you better, you better fucking be listening, mate. I'll tell you what now, I'm going to be <laughs> policing this. When you're part of the family, right? These sort of privileges, the politeness stuff, it, it goes. I'm telling yeah, you what straight to out do. The window. Right? I'm the big brother. All right? I'm the daddy. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're listening to my podcast, all right? <laughs> Um, the way yeah. that you laugh, the way that you laughed there, knowing that you're not actually the daddy. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> you know, come on, let's be real. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Absolutely brilliant. Um, and and have you made it to cinema this week? I have made it to. I made it to cinema twice this week. But mate, that's such good going. There'll be. I think there's one example that I'll give that's more relevant to today's film. Okay, go on. So what was it? I went to see. Starring Russell Crowe, the Pope's exorcist. <laughs> now, now, where to begin here? Hmm. It was all right, you know? Like, it was actually all right. Like, it was I, a, it I was can't a, tell whether you're taking the piss or whether it was actually all right. It was actually... I mean, look, you, 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 if you've seen the trailer... And you see, to be fair, you even see the title, The Pope's Exorcist. You know what to expect, right? It's a fairly... It's, I think back in the day, it would have been a B-movie. But since B-movies don't really exist anymore, 
you just kind of have lower end horror movies where you know what the beats are going to be you know what the the overall vibe is right and if they can make a fun film within those constraints then good on them and i feel that they did that i feel that they pulled it off and i would say largely they did that because russell crowe's just really good like it looks quite nice to hear it looked like he was just having fun, you know, and oh, nice. it's, don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a stupid crap film, but it's a good stupid crap film, if if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. The ones that kind of leave you coming away, feeling like you're satisfied by it, you mm-hmm. know, you come away thinking, yeah, well, that was, that was fun. You know, I, Look- I, I've, I've had fun. Let's put it this way. I've seen plenty of these type of films in this category, you know, like the the whatever haunting of something or other or the possession of who else. <laughs> and they're all just quite boring. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, yeah. you watch it and you're like, this isn't just bad and it isn't just predictable. It's actually just boring as well. I, I, t- I spoke about this previously. Like an example of that was the Uncharted film, which, you know, it's got... Um, What's his name? Tom Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Tom, Tom Spurs Holland. fan. Tom Holland and Marky Mark Wahlberg. International espionage, whatever type movie. And they managed to make that boring. And you find that like with so many of these type of horror films, convoluted plots, too much of an attempt to be too clever with it. I think yeah. this movie was just like, look, we know what we are. We're kind of making a contemporary slightly more trashy version of The Exorcist. Let's just fucking go with it and let's get a big actor involved who's maybe star has faded slightly, but it's actually still really good. And I, I just think Russell Crowe's brilliant. I do actually think he's brilliant. Have you and always felt that about him? Have you always been a, a Russell Crowe fan? I have, yeah. I've, I've, I've always right. liked... I liked LA Confidential. I thought he was like particularly brilliant in... Um, Gladiator, obviously, particularly brilliant. Master and Commander. Yep, Master and Commander. Again, very, very good. He just this he captures a certain. um, I think there's a certain emotional strength to his portrayal of characters. Should we say? Um, Yeah, no. I think I think he's good, but we we don't want to spend too long talking about Russell Crowe. That very good point. Right now, do we? Do we? No, absolutely not. What was the other one that you saw? (laughs) I saw um, the new Evil Dead movie. Evil Dead Rise. Any good? Yeah. If you like the... I, I, it's hard to say because I really enjoyed the old ones. Like, they, to me, they right. are an example of very good horror films. Um, especially the, the first one. Um, and this was... A, yeah, it was a good reboot of the guest franchise, if you want to call it that. Um, and just a decent kind of contemporary horror movie that wasn't in the what is it there's a, there's a certain term for a type of horror movie now when you think like your hereditary midsummer the witch these type of really deep dark kind of foreboding type horror movies that are generally seen as being more sophisticated this isn't that evil dead isn't that it's gory it's jump scares it's yeah demonic possession all that type of thing but it's it's done well and it's it's like wince inducing gore in places. One scene in particular, including a cheese grater. 
Um, oh no. Yeah, yeah. But what about you, mate? Do you, do you get to see anything? Okay, so I, I, I haven't been to cinema this week, but there's a very good reason. Right. It's because a certain Mr. Hussey has basically stolen any of my free time over this last week by recommending beef to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Come on. How good. Jesus. How good. What? Uh, uh, that is very, very special I don't want to call it television because it's not television, is it? Because of the because I actually think the viewing experience is is specifically tailored for the fact that it's an on demand thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, given that it's what ten, eleven episodes, I'm nine episodes in, so I've got two to go. Um, I just feel like oh, you haven't finished it. Um, I, I I've agreed to watch it with my missus so okay it would yep, go to, it's just too, it's one of those where it's so good that you actually have to respect the fact that you're watching it together oh, it would yeah, be yeah, a yeah. kind of like if one of you snuck ahead and didn't tell the other one it's not just a case of oh why'd you do that it's like no i'm actually upset with you like if either one 100%. of us would genuinely have a bit of a like, I know I'd I'd probably get back from work or whatever and maybe I'd watch it on the train and I'd get home and she'd be like, oh, do you want to watch last two episodes B tonight? If I said I've already watched them, she might not talk to me for a couple of hours. It's, it's one of those things, if, if, if I'm the other way around, like you, you'd get home from work and she's there on the sofa, nothing's on, no TV or anything. She sat there, she's, Ben, can you sit down? We, we need to have a chat about something. And you're oh thinking, God, what's oh up? Oh my God, what's happened? She's like, I've got something to confess to you. And you're thinking, oh my God. And she says, I watched the last two episodes of Beef without you. You'd genuinely be fuming. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and would I be, know... it would be one of those like, I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just, and you just sort of leave the room. For oh, bit, the breath. You know? The it's breath. that type of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to head out for a walk for a bit. And, and, yes. I, and I think it, it, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's, I know. That in the grand scheme of life, things like that are so unimportant, right? Life goes on, blah, blah, blah. But I actually think I can't overstate how unbelievably infuriating it is if you're in if you're in deep on something like, like a series like Beef. And I know there'll be a lot of people that are watching it and probably sitting, sitting listening to this, wherever they're listening to it, nodding, going, absolutely. But if you haven't seen it or if you haven't started it, oh my word, it is sensational. It's just Brilliant. so good. There's so much to go into. There's so much that you can take from it. And it says so much about the idea of kind of what is required of kind of this generation of people, this kind of group of people that have made it into adulthood, mm-hmm. but have not gone through the same timeline as our parents. They've made it into adulthood and are expected to have absolutely everything and to be everything to everyone um, and to have the perfect career and to have loads of money and to have uh, an amazing family and then to have a really fulfilling personal life and then to be really fulfilled by your job as well. And it, it, you... the way that the episodes progress, it, it, I am anxious all the time watching it, but I'm addicted to it. It's that good. Do you find it interesting, Ben? Because to me, it's one of the first, I'm sure there's other things, but it's one of the first really prominent things that sticks out for me of suddenly now people our age are the adults in the show if you get what i mean like the 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 prism is through people that grew up with 
similar experiences to us. Obviously, you know, a lot of this is rooted in kind of Asian American second generation immigrant stories and things like that. But there's still a commonality. And I know the program makers were very keen to emphasize that even though it's a heavily Asian cast, they were saying it wasn't too heavily dependent upon race or cultural um i guess cultural things <laughs> you know it's yeah, supposed to still be right precisely it's supposed to still there is going to be obviously flickers of that in there and you see things like microaggressions or you know the korean community and their relationship with christianity and the church and things like that but and her relationship the, with her parents as well i mean that yeah, was amazingly portrayed exactly but there is still just that that i guess that common theme that ennui that listlessness that nihilism that has engulfed a lot of the millennial generation of like you say feeling like we're just not good enough for anybody and yeah. i think it's i think it's absolutely spectacular i would say on this note if you really like beef and you like reading um <laughs> i've recently read a book and this is just by sheer coincidence. It isn't a result of having watched Beef or anything. I uh, recently read a book called Severance by an author, Ling Ma. Um, it's brilliant. It's a kind of, it's a post-apocalyptic millennial tale. It, it's kind of showing you a bit of like how useless a lot of us, you know, us office job type people are in an apocalyptic scenario. And also showing the lives we led before the apocalypse and afterwards, seeing the fact that there wasn't a lot of difference between them. People will recognise a lot of the themes, you know, the fact we're sleepwalking, the zombies, so on and so forth. But it's it's a it's a brilliant book. It's a great piece of satire. Very well written. So check that out, Severance. Not to well, be yeah, confused the, with the Apple TV series. <laughs> and then I suppose the other thing that immediately jumped to mind for me, I don't know if it was the same for you watching this, was... Um, White Lotus there were oh, yeah. so many of the same kind of things that it did to me just in terms of my headspace and where mm. your mind goes whilst you're watching it and I would argue that for a lot of beef like the the pacing is very varied you can go through scenes where you're frantic but then also there may be 20 minutes where you're quite so everything is moving at a very sort of gentle and consistent pace mm. But at the same time, it's just constantly rising in terms of the tension, just constantly growing and growing and growing and growing. And you kind of, you feel like the whole series is on top of you, but that shouldn't put you off. Like that should be why, one of the reasons why you, you love it so much. Um, but yeah, the, I could not recommend it highly enough. Uh, I will be absolutely dragging myself to the cinema as soon as I've I've finished it. But it's one of those things. It's just been quite all-consuming. Every spare kind of hour we've had, we've tried to slot in an episode of that, which has been, just been lovely. Um, one or two things just to touch on before we move on to our film this week. You have sparked such a lot of chat uh, with your shout around Casino Royale, mate. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. this today? I have, yeah. It's uh, it's good to see, isn't it? You know, something like that. This is the best thing about <laughs> of a beloved franchise. It's going to yeah, get it going, yeah. isn't it? You know, it's going to oh, be. Oh yeah. It was my devilish little uh, little intention, <laughs> you could say maybe. But it, I, do, I do feel it. It wasn't a disingenuous shout. 
But um, yes, I love that it stirred the pot though, and I I really really enjoy the fact that people. There was one comment from at Arsenal Irish Woe One said, Daniel Craig looks too much like a builder. Plus, he's five nine. Bond isn't five nine. <laughs> As if that, as if that is like the the sticking point. I just won't have this. He's five nine, <laughs> you know. It's brilliant. I think and... Bond was all about that. I think that Casino Royale, as we said, it was all about breaking down these kind of toxic stereotypes that had plagued the Bond series all throughout. So, Irish Gooner or whatever your name was, just <laughs> you know, introspect, right? That's what I'm saying. Uh, we had Craig Onion said Skyfall's my favourite. Um, we had a, a really, a really good chat from Eco Sonic who said from Russia with love worth a mention. I love the fact that it does actually stir this in people, and and people kind of go back and they're like, no, it's this, and they're so sure in their mind about what the best one is, which is just absolutely fab. Um, and yeah, been a, a really lovely, lovely thing once again seeing people get involved. Um, as ever at BYOB Pod on all of the social media uh, channels. Hit us up, get involved, um, and uh, we'll try and get back to as many of you as possible. People are loving us on shot. TikTok, aren't they? That's one thing. Yeah, loaded there. TikTok loving action us on TikTok. at the moment. I, like, I, I see why people get so addicted to it now. The numbers on there, it's mad. Well, it just auto, it just kind of dry, it just it sort of pulls you in, doesn't it? You sort mm. of can't help it. You then just go into this old absolute doom scroll where you're just like, yep, more, 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 which is lovely. Um, I mean, crazy and and also completely like life destroying, but fun at the same time. Happy um, to be a part of that, <laughs> the content, yeah. the doom content cycle. <laughs> um, mate, we we we've, we've gone on for long enough here. You've Get us gassed up once again. What is this week's film? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I shall have my vengeance in this life or the next. I missed out all the other bit about him being the kind of leader of the northern armies and stuff. Because you forget all that bit, you know. But still, <laughs> Gladiator. What a film. What oh, a film. Mate. What a shout as well. When I when I said to my um when I said to my dad that it was Gladiator, I think I said this to you guys already, but when I said to my dad it was Gladiator, he was so buzzed that we insisted to, on watching it as a family. Oh, <laughs> it yeah. was that it was it was one of those we're like, right, get comfy. How like, he, he said like how long is it? And I was like, Oh, it's probably about two odd hours. He's like, No way, no way, it's not two <laughs> hours. <laughs> it literally was closer to three or something. But it was yeah. it was it's such a good one to watch together and there's so much in this, isn't there? Oh mate, it's oh when did you first watch it? Do you remember? Yeah, this was one that my brother do you, it's a really similar story actually to to do you remember you saying that you'd gone around to a mate's to watch it? Um Pulp Fiction. Uh, to, not to watch, not to watch Gladiator. To, to watch Pulp Fiction. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. And and you were like, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. Um. My brother had a sleepover, and he got hold of that. They had a pirate version of this on a. It was either on a hard drive or on a, a burn. Do you remember people used to burn DVDs? Yeah. Um. And so he got hold of a, a pirate version, and he was watching it with his mates. And so I was super young watching this. And I watched it first thing in the morning, maybe like 6.30am, I can remember really vividly watching this, kind of sneaking downstairs, sneaking, going and grabbing hold of this kind of burnt DVD, um, 
and and then sneaking into the the extension at my house which is kind of like a little bit at the back where it would be the furthest point from my parents yeah uh, so that i could watch it without them hearing that i was watching all this little gory it's not even that gory but it's the fight scenes isn't it and all the references and stuff and it was i at the time i remember being like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen yeah you know that are you not entertained just so so amazing um and it stuck with me i mean it's it's one of those when you said it i was like god this is this is wonderful what about you mate where 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 were you when you first watched it with my dad i saw it in the cinema this one Um, oh brilliant yeah i remember seeing this one in the cinema is that the first one that we've had that we've seen oh no casino royale yeah casino royale but other than that yeah i guess so yeah i think so i think i saw whiplash at the cinema i think i saw it afterwards Oh no! I actually, do you know what? I might have seen Whiplash in the cinema as well. I think I did. Um, but of but yeah, the older, just... of the older films, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember seeing this, and sort of similar to you, I just remember. So I think I was probably about fourteen, I reckon. Um, and I think the film was—I uh, can't remember if it's a twelve or a fifteen. But either way, it was kind of like you've you've kind of got that pass when you're with your dad. You know, yeah, of course he's fifteen. You know, it's that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And. Yeah, and that, they would have said anything, right? Yeah, he's yeah. twenty-five, mate. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> it just blew my mind. I remember it blowing my mind, and I think like this was the first of a lot of these big. Obviously, like previously, there'd been like Spartacus and Ben Hur and those sort of things, but I guess in the more modern era or contemporary era, I think it was one of the first of the big like battlefield movies, right? You had Braveheart, probably couple of years previously to it but mm. i don't think braveheart had the same grandeur or like scale as gladiator did correct me if i'm no, wrong but I, don't, no. I don't feel that it did no, um, no, no and i think this really like set the template i'm watching it now and i'm like this set the template for like so many of these afterwards didn't it lord of the rings and those you know kingdom of heaven obviously i mean it's the same director but um it was a real sort of it was a it was a real pathway to that and it just it's so you know what the thing is that when we were watching it back me and Charlotte this time we were saying like there is some cgi in there but the fact there's a, a clear reliance upon practical effects again no not again there's a clear reliance on practical effects because i guess cgi wasn't in quite the place back then it makes it feel more real as well and it, it yeah. it's it's it, it feels so removed. Like so many of the, there are some, there are some absolutely fantastic scenes in like in the Lord of the Rings film in game of Thrones, but they, I always get a bit pulled out of them when they start to, when you can tell they've really amped up the CGI. When you can tell it's, you know, like the close quarter stuff, some of those, you know, like the battle of the bastards, Jon Snow, when he's under that kind of, the mountain pile of bodies and stuff like that that's raw and he's in the mud and it's kind of it's really grisly and it's great but when you see the huge kind of armies facing off with one another it just loses something in there for me so i think that's what i loved especially you know that the opening so that open the way that gladiator just bang it just punches you straight into you've got the you've got the the text set in the story you've got his hand going through the wheat which you obviously later find out is his way of you know, him psyching himself up before battle. That's where I want to be. That's where I'm aiming for. Get through the battle. That's because that's where I need to be. Back there in my field a week, going to see my wife and son. It's his happy place. 
to calm him down before battle. And then bang, hands him a score, goes from the wheat of that kind of the 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 celestial almost like chanting and humming sort of sound into just the the thudding and everything of of the battle that tune on on the on the score and just seeing this kind of muddy trench field as these like rows of roman legionnaires are preparing themselves for battle against this thus far unseen foe and it, did you think mate because i thought at this bit it really like and it was so well done I suddenly got that thing this time, especially when I watched it, thinking like, "Oh my god!" Like, imagine being alive back then and how fucking scary <laughs> and shit this would be. Yeah. Like, we moan yeah. about our office jobs, but back then it was like, <laughs> "You turnip farmer, here's a sword, here's a shield." I mean, to be fair, the Roman Empire I think were different, and they were so successful because their soldiers were soldiers; they weren't just barbarians given a, a knight, a sword, or whatever. But do you know what I mean? Like even then, back then, oh, when you put, put put yourself in the shoes of the the people being conquered, you know, when you're there with a club and a kind of bearskin on, <laughs> and you're suddenly seeing all these like these like men show up in shiny armor with sophisticated battlefield formations and ballistas and archers and all this type of thing, you would be like, oh my god, these 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 people are good gods. You know? Yeah, you, you sort of look across at them and they've got trebuchets and, and, and these sort of slingshot right? things with huge flaming boulders on top of it. You probably look around. They're all in this unbelievable formation. You look around at your mates. Oh, I think we've bitten off more than we can chew it, mate. <laughs> We're yeah, in trouble. Right? <laughs> We're really in trouble. And and you're like you said, you're, you're probably thinking at that point. Just... It, it, I mean, it's such a strange thought, but the idea of being dragged into like, I don't even want to, f- I don't even want to fight. I don't even know who these guys are. And now I'm having to turn up with a club in hand and go and fight some dude who's about seven foot tall on the back of a horse with a bow and arrow. Good. Yeah. Love to. Cheers. Do, do you know what I loved about that in particular, mate? Um, and it, it, it's a really good entry point because it showed you almost straight away they used the... A, a real, it was a real subtle way, but it was a real, a perfect chance just to show you straight away what um, what what Maximus's character was like, because you had one of his second in commands who actually goes on to fuck him over. I can't remember his name, but he says to him like, "Why don't these people know when they're conquered?" And Maximus just sort of says, even though they have this, the might of the Roman Empire, they have all this sophisticated weaponry. He says to him like, "Would you?" Would is that I? Quintus? Yeah, Quintus. You know, he says to him, like, would you? Would I? He's immediately giving the respect to his opponent, if you like. Let's call him the opponent. Let's Does he take say... it down to a sporting analogy. But what I just mean, because he's, 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 he's aware of the fact these people are fighting for their home. Like, you can't, yeah. take, your, you can't take your eye off the ball. If you, like, when you're doing this thing, like, you've got to be serious. You have to be focused. And you also have to give these people the respect that they deserve. I mean, well, you're not really, are you? You're trying to conquer their homeland, but still, it's it's still just an understanding of the fact of there's skin in the game for them. Like, it's different. Yeah, and it's just, like you said, respecting the opposition. Like, by respecting what they're capable of, it's not to say that you're not going to still try and steal their home. But I did think that was a very interesting thing to see early on. What's the line that he says? Does he say something like, the answer is no. And then you see 
the the scout cavalry coming back without his head. Yeah, yeah. When they, yeah, because they, 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 I think one of the first lines in the film is like, you know, where is he? He's been a couple of hours or something, isn't it? Yeah, and and sort of that. That was really interesting. That whole. Do you know what? Should I try and ruin the film in sixty seconds before we go head first? God, we haven't even done that. Shall I try and try and smash it up? I mean, we have done sort of a good amount already, which makes my job way easier. So I shouldn't really. I will balls this up, but I've got a massive head start. Um, Shall I give you a three, two, one? Hit me. Three, and a two, and a one. So, um, as we said, Maximus, uh, a general in, in the Roman army, he's an unbelievable warrior, but also a great leader of men as well. He is answerable to Marcus Aurelius, who is Caesar. Um, he's in charge of the Roman Empire and has, has dominated for 20 years, I think it is, or 22 years. And the empire stretched as far as it's ever stretched. Uh, but Rome is falling apart at the seams and it's not what it once was. Uh, Marcus Aurelius says that he wants Maximus to kind of be his um, his next in line to the throne, as it were, much to the chagrin of, of uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character Commodus uh, and his sister Lucilla, played by Connie Nielsen, uh, who sees how dangerous her brother is. And what plays out is essentially Commodus trying to do everything that he can to make sure that he gets the throne and not Maximus, which includes killing his Mah. dad. Oh. Okay, I, I, I got quite, quite a bit of the way through. Um, but I, I think I could have done a lot more. Can we go, but can we rewind back? Because we were onto some really good stuff before I ruined it yeah. and go back to that battle scene at the beginning. Because even for me, little things, I'm not usually huge on text at the beginning of a film. I usually kind of feel like if you need lots of text or if you need to kind of like set things up with a, a lot of text. Or narration. It, yeah, or VO. It usually yeah. means that maybe we're landing somewhere that's a bit too complex to get. But mm-hmm. for me, that just this was so cinematic, you know, that it was so perfectly worded and the choice of what was displayed on the screen. You're just like, yeah, here we go. Let's let's have a bit of this, man. This it is felt just like absolute if, ace. It felt like a bit of a throwback to the sort of golden age of cinema type historical epics. You know, like I said, yeah. I said previously, yeah. Ben Hur. And things like Jason and the Argonauts, you know, that they would usually, in, the, in that era of cinema, begin with those kind of text cards to to set the scene. Um, but I agree with you, and I think again, I'm probably going to talk about this a lot because this is one of my favourite film scores of all time. I just think it's it's hands him a score that it just it brings it to life. It's a static card with text on it, you know. But even when you're just reading the words, you're reading kind of the outline of of the story you feel it straight away you know it's yeah i love it well so there, there's a i mean actually do you know what i, I won't zoom ahead because i think the hands in the score we need to do a a proper kind of deep dive on um but that opening exchange and the the kind of fight scene followed by the sort of I guess it, that that opening gambit is basically saying, look, here's the premise. Here's what we're going to play with in this film. It's just done so wonderfully well that you feel an immediate 
attraction to to Maximus as a, as the lead character as this kind of real alpha character, um, and equally you feel such a loathing for Commodus, even with the way when he, when he turns and goes, oh, have I missed the battle? Yeah, you bloody have, mate. <laughs> you mm. have missed it. Mm. Go away. And you, you, straight away in that first kind of 15, 20 minute period, you're so drawn in by the whole thing. It's so exciting. And the, the fight scene straight away with the, the kind of steady cam and the, the way that it flickers from one angle to the next and the, the colouring and the sound, it's also vibrant. It's... It is about as good at opening 20 minutes, I think, in any film ever in terms of getting you on the edge of your seat and just being sold into wherever the film wants to go for the rest of it, I think. Yeah, of course. And I think it, it, it's the strength of that. I, I'm going to keep going back to it, but the text card, because what it does is it allows you to almost not view this opening battle scene as just like... Because it would just be, it would be quite a cheap way to just start with the action right a big battle none of the talky stuff big battle get their attention you know and (laughs) heads chopping off and all this type of thing but it's already trying to get you to really to question the the reasons as to why they're there you know like you say it's it's letting you know the roman empire is falling apart and again this kind of feels like and it's the thing that's plaguing marcus aurelius after the battle in those in that speech is like what is my legacy a tyrant you know i've just gone across the world spilling blood and it's it's just it's showing you like when you see a like we talk about it, you talk about the the excesses of rome you know it's well documented in the history the sort of the fall of the roman empire the kind of the the just that the excesses of everything that they were doing that you, you do have a situation where you have these guys with all this sophisticated equipment showing up to fight some a barbarian horde. You know, it's for this lust for power, this sort of greed, it's corrupted that even Marcus Aurelius says after the battle to, to Maximus, you know, what was this all for? And you have Maximus straight away, he's speaking to Caesar, he would do anything for Rome. He loves, he loves Marcus Aurelius, but he... Yeah, you know, he gets pissed off of him. I've got two thousand men out there. Probably a thousand of them won't make it because they're all carved up. Don't tell me that we did that for nothing, you know. And it's yeah. it's uh, it's great because it's showing you. You know, you can I guess enjoy those sort of battle scenes, but it's also trying to just let you know that you know war isn't cool, man. <laughs> I, I actually thought that scene between um, Richard Harris and, and Russell Crowe was was so so um, well played. Oh, I phenomenal! It's Richard the, Harris, though, isn't it, man? Like what? Yeah, a, man. What a tight his voice. You know? His voice is just so perfectly kind of powerful yet weak at the same time. Yeah, it's amazing. So he's sort of wonderfully authoritative. Authoritative. Um, without having to move very much you know he's very economical with his with his movement and the way that he talks just slight intonations in the way that he says things and you just yeah. know he's he's the boss and i quite i think he just is he was just such a wonderful casting because he has such gravity mm. you know this is a guy who's come to the end of his life but he's ruling over the largest empire that there had ever been at that point i guess and he just carries that weight, you know, you feel the weight of everything that he says and the decisions that he's made 
uh, along the way. And then you get that lovely line where he says, will you, he says to Maximus, will you sort of take on this honour that I'm that I'm giving to you? And he, he says, like, essentially, absolutely not. Yeah. And then he says, and, and that's why it has to be you. Yeah. You know, which I think is 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 such a clever device that that Ridley Scott's used there, um, because it then you are so drawn to Maximus because we're all drawn to people that are natural leaders and gifted people that never want the attention, that mm. never want the kind of never want to be lavished with praise, and they never want to be told, "Oh, you're the best," sort of thing. They're just people who are just like, "Look, listen, I'm I'm, I'm just." doing what I'm doing, you know, I'm doing what I'm doing my job and I'm doing it well. I don't need all the other stuff that comes with it. And I think that that as well was another really, really important bit in terms of getting us on side and us buying in. Um, just to come back to one other point you made earlier on, mate, I think it's so crucial to kind of like double down on this. But like you said, the lack of CGI, you see right from the very outset that they were going to they were going to go with this angle of we will get as many extras as we physically can to make this feel epic. Mm. You know, imagine being on a film set with that many people trying to coordinate it, trying to get them to do what you wanted them to do and it look that real. It's just phenomenal, isn't it? It must be just exciting. I'm sure it's hard work. I'm sure it's fucking exciting. I mean, what an experience to say you were an extra on that movie, you know? Yeah, and I watched a thing with um, Hans Zimmer this week who said that he was struggling to kind of get in the headspace for the film, like to, to work out where he was going to go with it. Really? Um, so Ridley Scott invited him down to the set of that battle oh, at the beginning. Amazing. And he went down and it was shot in England. So it, all that... It's, it's looking shot very from... near to where I live, mate. I've actually no visited... Way. I've visited that place. It's used in so many movies. I think it was used oh, in... Oh, is like, it? A couple of the Bonds. It's been used in a Harry Potter. It's the Bourne... It's Bournewood, um, just near Guildford. And it's... Yeah, it's cool. Oh, that's it's cool. so cool. Yeah. That it's is It's a so purpose-built cool. forest, though, which is quite interesting. Oh, I didn't realise that. So that, that yeah. I mean, and it's just so perfect, isn't it? In terms of setting yeah. it up, it's, it's a great look. Um, but he said that he couldn't get into the, he was having trouble getting into it. And he said, you just arrived onto set and it was literally like someone had snapped their fingers and you were in that time <laughs> because there were so many people and everyone was in the, the setup and everyone looked the part that you were just... You were just there and he'd obviously seen the script and knew where it was going and stuff so he tried to like get himself into it and so he bent down and picked up some of the earth so that he could kind of feel what what maximus was was doing and that mm. was how he got into the to doing the score but just the idea that he was able to able to go and visit it and it actually be because you uh, I'm sure you you've had similar things I've been on plenty of film sets before and as soon as someone says cut you kind of like you snap back into the real world. The idea that it wasn't like that and it felt like you were there is yeah. so so cool. And it is that it's, it comes with the territory of this being an epic, of this being a blockbuster, and this being done in this way, and not just a load of CGI, like you said. What did you take from it? I wanted to sort of scroll back to the because I I thought it was just amazing. I think it laid out a lot of the film ahead. That discussion between. Russell Crowe and Richard Harris, or Maximus and 
and Marcus Aurelius. What did you in take term, from that? What did you take from in terms of like what they were, what point were they trying to make and how were they trying to take the story forward from there? Well, I definitely felt the the line, you're the son that I should have had or never had, um, that immediately, that sat quite uncomfortably with me because it's then followed up by the line from Marcus Aurelius to Commodus your your weaknesses as a son and my failings as a father um or, or something to that effect which i i i thought was a really fascinating juxtaposition because that was straight away that kind of told you where this was going to go and you saw with commodus's just blind sort of rage and envy and bitterness that he wasn't going to be able to ever let that go that then is, is piled on with um connie nielsen's lucilla who obviously has had sort of a history with with maximus's character as well um but the other thing that i kind of that jumped out at me there was this um this really beautiful line that maximus says he says the world is brutal and cruel and dark and rome is the light and then Marcus Aurelius says to him, but you've never been. Yeah. And that was like, oof, that packs a punch. Because I think, I think actually, the, the, really what he's kind of saying there is, don't make me tug at this thread. I don't want to tug at this thread. I don't want this to unravel. And I think you, like you said earlier on, he was like, I've got a load of people out there that are going to die. They're not going to make it off there. You can't tell me that that Rome is rubbish. You can't tell me that because we need to have something to believe in. Otherwise, none of this makes sense. You know, which I, I just thought that was such a um, such an amazing kind of line. The whole "you've never been" thing. Because then, when he turns up, when Maximus turns up, Rome Rome is cruel and brutal and dark. You know, it's everything that he mm, was trying to escape mm. on the battlefield. He then goes straight into head first and he sees it firsthand. And there's the, the, the arrival into Rome is kind of like prostitutes, um, people shouting about wine and the, the arena and um, slavery. It kind of is, it, it's almost even worse than the battlefield. At least there's kind of an, an honour there for him. You know, at least it was kind of him amongst a, a group of men who admired him. What about you, mate? Because I, I know you were like, you would have absolutely adored that scene as well. What, what did you take from it? Well, I just thought, because touching what you're saying is like, I think just to expand on that with like Rome being the shining light of it and everything is even though he'd never been there, I guess what it is, is he's given his life to, and so many of these soldiers have given their life to an idea, to a sense of what Rome is, a physical place, yes, but it's this idea that of, of civilization, right? Of the ancient world modernizing, of suddenly becoming more than just, I guess, barbarians, yeah. nomadic tribes yeah. of people and all this type of thing that... There's a foundation there. It's it's the, you know, it's it's born out of the the cradle of humanity, if you like, you know, of the of the classical world. And I think what's interesting in this, I think what the, what they are kind of touching at is, I think uh, what Richard Harris is really trying to show is that we're all like a of a set of values, 
of a principle, of an idea. We're all just custodians of these things, right? We're all custodians of morality, of all of those things I outlined previously. It's our job, us in the present, us alive today, to to carry these legacies forwards, to carry forward values and things that that we see fit, and to 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 always, I guess, check ourselves, to censor ourselves, and and make sure we are we are sending forward the right thing. Because as as Maximus says, what we do in life will echo through into eternity. And I guess there may be this sense of like that. Marcus Aurelius has picked up on Maximus's naivety that he's a soldier. He's 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 a brilliant soldier, but he is there to fight and to die to protect this idea, this idea of civilization, this this idea of what Rome is. And as you quite rightly say, Marcus Aurelius says to him, "But you haven't been, you haven't seen what it is now. We've let this go, and it's because of me. It's because of this excess that I've allowed." this this empire to to indulge in this this quest for power for glory the hubris of that this engulfed me it's engulfed me my entire life and now as i face my death i need to repent i need to do you think that sorry i was just gonna say do you do you think that's what it what it is for him is that this is kind of like i've messed this up yeah. Or is it is it I need to put this in the hands of someone that will kind of either... I, I couldn't work out. One of the things for me that I couldn't work out was whether he was trying to say, I'm going to put this in the hands of someone that will fix it or put this in the hands of someone that will change it or put this in the hands of someone just, just that I trust because my son is not a moral person. I, I think it's a mixture of all of those things, but I think he knows that Maximus... Does he says to him, "That's why it has to be you," because Maximus doesn't want the power. He knows he's not going to put it into Maximus's hands, and Maximus is suddenly going to become some despot. Actually, no, I'm in charge of this. Marcus Aurelius has told him, "You are going to be the custodian. You're essentially going to be like a de facto, a caretaker Caesar, if you like, whilst there is this transition of power back to the Senate, back to the people." And I know it has to be you because you don't want the power. You don't want to be in charge of things. And it's it's because of people like me and people like my son that we have fallen into this this den of iniquity, if you like. What 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 why Rome has become the way it has, why our messaging, what are we fighting for now? Why are we going out and conquering people? Why are we spilling blood all over all over the continent, all over the world? What for? He doesn't even know himself now, but he's just he's this old man who's suddenly like I'm going to die and this is what my legacy is. So what I actually want my legacy to be is I'm the man that handed power back. My final my final thing, my my redemption, my redemptive arc was to hand power back to the people and have them fix this up and stop with this excess, stop with this hubris, this prideful notion that the Romans are going to go and take over the world as his son wants. I have this ambition. He says to him, I have this burning ambition, values that you, things that you don't value. And as, as, as Marcus Aurelius says to Proxima, says to his own son, you know, um, it is Proximo, isn't it? The son? Uh, Commodus. Commodus, Proximo's uh, 
Oliver Reed's Oliver character. Reed's character, yeah. Yeah, to, he says to Commodus, you know, because I think the problem is that he, Commodus is, why do you, what is it about me that you hate so much? What he hates about him is that he sees himself in him. You know, yeah. he sees that same burning hunger, that desire for just, for, for, for conquering, for, for, for power. And it's only now that he's coming towards the end of his life that he's realizing the errors of his own ways. And he has to, he has to push it into somebody else's hands. He, 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 he says to his daughter, you would have been a great Caesar. You know, it, it should have been you. Yeah. And, and you see that going forwards into the film. She's the one that's trying to broker the, the, the deal with the Senate and everything like that. She's even you know going behind the back of her own family, of her own brother. To, to do that i did love her uh, her portrayal of that i thought that was really really wonderfully done as well with just her kind of yeah intercepting her brother at maybe like five or six points during the film she just sort of sees he's going on this kind of downward spiral and she just goes oh, i'm sure to bail this guy out just jump in and kind <laughs> yeah. of like get him out of here because he's just gonna he's gonna blow this whole thing up um but I, I did one thing I sort of I don't know whether we, we're skipping too far ahead but actually I think it's important to get into it now because Commodus kills his dad you know mm -hmm. there is that that sort of it straight away the fact that he commits that crime or commits that act we're denied ever knowing what Maximus might might do because the mm -hmm. moment that that Richard Harris's character Marcus Aurelius sort of says, "Don't, don't um, say well done to me. Say well done to Maximus." You kind of see that little glimmer in Joaquin Phoenix's eyes, like, "Yeah, sod this guy," like mm. taking the credit. He's just a he's just a military guy. Like, what? He's a grunt. So what? Yeah, what? Why on earth do you care about him? He's like, I'll. I'll uh, there is such a cutting line. It's like I'll have a thousand or a hundred bulls sacrificed for you. He's like save the bulls, don't worry about it. Yeah, and it's it's like that's his idea of sacrifice is to kill a load of animals. Whereas Maximus's idea of sacrifice was to be on the front line and literally leading his men into battle. You know, to 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 be prepared to sacrifice anything, his own life. But to Commodus, that's that's not something that he can even begin to fathom because he's too important you know he's riding at the back in the in the kind of chariot being carried by other people and having people fetch his horse um but i did think it was interesting that we got just a tiny shot of him kind of training at the beginning mm -hmm. so you knew that he wasn't a total wimp you know yeah, that, he knew that he wasn't yeah that he had enough about him you know that he was kind of a little that, that he was a it was a bit of a piss amp, but at the same time, he could do some damage, like enough that if so, if if someone was kind of like not quite at their very best, that he might be able to get the better of them, which obviously comes back comes back to us later in the film. Um, mate, what did you what did you think of of the the portrayal of of Rome and kind of how it was how it was built up? Because they obviously had quite a task on their hands to try and make this place live and breathe considering the scale of what they were trying to show with the Colosseum, etc. I think obviously there were certain constraints. I think like we touched on CGI wasn't as commonplace at that point, 2000. So I'd guess the film was probably being made from what 97 onwards, I'd guess. 
Um, so it wasn't quite in a place. And you can see there are certain moments, you know, like when they first arrive into Rome, you can see it's quite clearly CGI. And it almost looks a bit kind of shonky. You know, it, it doesn't look mm. great. So they keep it concentrated to, to smaller scenes, um, close-up scenes. And I think they've... It's, it's, it's okay. I think it's kind of... It's, it's unfair to judge it, but it's been... I think those scenes in particular have been somewhat blown out of the water when you see, say, a production of scale of something like Game of Thrones. You know, when you see King's yeah. Landing that they filmed in Dubrovnik, this living, breathing kind of city. I think they didn't quite nail it. You know, you kind of had on Rome that kind of that, that main procession, which was always with a huge crowd there. Um one th- uh, maybe we'll talk about. We'll, we'll talk about it now because we're talking about the depiction of Rome. There are certain things that I kind of found. I mean, maybe this is something that did happen back then, but there were certain things that I kind of just thought that feels like a kind of odd choice, and it feels a little bit out of place. Like I do love this movie, and I think there are there are it's it's been created very lovingly, and I know that the the filmmakers did pour a lot of time and attention into the the classical accuracy of many aspects of it um so maybe this is something that happened but i thought later on in the film you see certain crowd scenes when they're holding up banners like it's wwe wrestling or something with maximus written on them and i kind of thought would that have actually (laughs) would that have actually happened i know that like the gladiators they were like today's footballers they were celebrities they were they were loved and supported by the people. So maybe maybe that kind of thing did happen. But I thought that was kind of strange. Um, oh, but the can, movie... Can we talk? I, oh, sorry, go on, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I think the, but part of it for me is that the movie wasn't so much about Rome itself, I guess. It was just about... Rome, it really... It was, it was all seen as just like perfunctory. I don't know if this was... If this was conscious or not but like we're talking about the conversation between Richard Harris and and Russell Crowe at the start it's showing that Rome is more of an idea as opposed to a place and it feels that like yep they were overwhelmed by the size of the Colosseum and the these buildings where again like we were talking about with the war at the start imagine back then having never seen Rome having never seen a, a city like that coming from wherever the countryside somewhere in Europe and suddenly going to like a city like that and thinking like yeah as as as, as i think russell crowe says did men build this you know like yeah what is this you know his character is like i've never seen anything like this you know it's right? such a it's such a powerful sort of line but i think yeah. that the thing that you that the, the thing that you just you said it and i was like yes absolutely it's for me rome in this film is really it's just a a backdrop it's just it's yeah, just a yeah. vehicle to get you into the coliseum you know because mm-hmm. there is there, there's a lovely scene between the two senators where uh, actually really similarly you know you were saying that they had posters and stuff or they, they, someone has a flyer you know sort <laughs> of a flyer for gladiators and I'm like come on but um but uh, they they're sort of sitting talking to each other and one of them they said he's going to have sort of 150 days of games or whatever um and he said one says to the other rome is rome is the mob 
and the beating heart of Rome is the Colosseum. Um, mm. And basically, if you give people wonder and you give people fear, this is what you're going to end up with and they'll love him for it. And it and like you said, it, essentially, what you're, what you're looking at here is almost kind of... Um, there are so many parallels with watching live sport because ultimately, I suppose it is it was live sport of its of yeah. its time, and I saw an amazing tweet this week. I was just kind of like scanning through to try and see what I could find around around this, and it wasn't actually in reference to um, to Gladiator. It was just in reference to kind of the the that period of history, and it was someone basically saying. Can you imagine waking up on, let's just say, a Saturday morning and being like, we're going down to the Coliseum later? I looked up the capacity and apparently it's around 60,000 people in that time. We're mm -hmm. going down to the Coliseum later where people are like readily making booze available and you're going to watch the sport of kind of men fight to the death. But it's been normalized <laughs> so much that you're going to cheer it on in the same way that we might cheer on the football. Can you imagine the adrenaline of watching that? Can you imagine like that? Because that was what was happening. You know, people were genuinely watching it as sport, like as a viewing thing. It must have been, it must have been just the most wildly ludicrous and sort of, yeah, just so adrenaline fueled. The atmosphere must have been just like, totally crazy you know that there's no there's no no organization there's no kind of it's just febrile it's just fever pitch you know it's it's total kind of chaos and madness and that would have been the spectator sport of its time it, like, to think his, that there would his, have been his, 60 000 people there watching that it's unreal here's a, here's a question for you though mate like because we still think about it. tyson fury no it's yeah, Anthony Joshua fought at Tottenham Stadium, right? Mm. I think about 90,000 people showed up for that. You've had Tyson Fury fight at Wembley. Over 100,000 people have shown up for that. We sort of look at those times as being like, oh, you know, the, the bloodthirsty mob and all that type of thing. Can you honestly say that if that sort of gladiatorial combat came back today that people wouldn't still go to it? Mate, like, I is think we something, watch... I, I think something the way that we watch us? football's like that. No, but I mean the actual that it. that the carn the actual the the bloodshed. Yeah, what is well, it I mean, all in us that that is that's drawn to that? It's very primal, isn't it? It's very primal, and I think there's a reason why. Sorry to kind of take this conversation into a very kind of like sort of uh, d dull pathway, but I think it's the reason why we're seeing so many young men who consider themselves influencers now wanting to move into the boxing space. You know, mm. as they've grown from the age of kind of like 11 and 12, where they've considered themselves gamers and they then now have grown up and are kind of young, young men or young adults. Um, is, I say young men because it's pre predominantly from what I've seen online. It's vast, vast majority of it is, is young men looking to kind of like, I suppose, test their test, their physicality and put their physical mm. sort of skills to the test. Um I think we still have it, you know. People, people are still desperate to to have that idea of the kind of standing there and looking into the whites of someone's eyes and kind of having that fear and 
and having that physical battle, you know. And I mean, like you say, we go and watch boxing and we, we're seeing in real time people, like, people sort of sending others to hospital, you know. It, it, like, we still we still pine for it. I wonder what that is, though. Do you know what I mean? I wonder what that is in us that we're so desperate to go and watch people fight. You know, particularly you look at things but, like UFC mm. as well. So similar. But I think that's... I think it is one of the questions posed by the film because... Maximus has been a warrior. He fights for Rome, right? He fights for the idea to preserve the idea of Rome, rightly or wrongly, you know? And when he's first put into that gladiatorial combat, when he's in Algeria, when he's in the kind of the slave encampment and it's Proximo's kind of training base, seeing who they might be able to take to Rome or not, he doesn't like, you know, that's the famous, are you not entertained? Because he finds it repulsive. These people are there cheering him on to watch it. He, he performs these acts because he's a soldier. But in this setting, in this scenario, to fight on demand like that, I think at first he feels it's all very beneath him and he finds it just warped that people are there to to enjoy it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's... That scene is almost quite jarring in a sense. He sort of... Not jarring, perhaps is the wrong word, but he's shouting, "Are you not any not entertained?" And in the meantime, they're shouting, "Spaniard, Spaniard!" Yeah. And you sort of like, it, I think there are a lot of reflections, right? There are a lot of sort of. It's almost like a bit of a mirror looking at kind of very similar stuff that goes on at the moment, and and in terms of just throughout human history, in terms of spectator sport and things like that people screaming down from the stands and there being an epistemic distance between the gods on the the field of play and then the every man in the stands. Sort mm. of the, the guy down there in the middle of it who's literally killing people, screaming like, please, will you understand how ridiculous this is? And all they do is just scream back his name, you know? Like just more, just give us more of it, more of it, more of it. And Shot I thought more that was heads quite... off. Go on, Max. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was quite an interesting. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much the film would have been looking to do that at that time, but it, but it was a really interesting thing for me to kind of reflect on watching it back. Was this kind of the, yeah, that line? Rome is the mob. You know, and I, di I, I also thought there was something really interesting about that idea of momentum and the shift in momentum. Once he gets to the Colosseum and Commodus is sort of like, well, show me your face then, come on. And at this point, you could see that there was no way that Commodus could win because the momentum had shifted. And once you've kind of captured, captured people's imagination and once you've kind of captured people's hearts and minds it's almost impossible to, to turn that dial back which i thought was really really mm. fascinating and then we get that iconic scene which is just it is it's, it's, it is do you remember we were talking at the beginning of the pod and we were like what are some of the most iconic scenes in film or, or iconic lines in film that's got to be up there right but are you not entertained no, the my name is Max Mistest from the Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean both of those to be fair, but yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's a, look, I've got I've got to read it out now. Hang on. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, generals of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true Emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, 
husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. And you are just like, fucking yes, go on, aren't you? You know, like, get him, get him, just fucking stick a sword in him now, do it. Yeah, like, but right. So this is really interesting because he says, "I will have my vengeance." Is revenge the theme of this film? One of. I would say I found it really hard when I was watching this back to be like, to actually really sort of pin down what the central theme of it was. Um, Because I don't think it is just a revenge movie. Like I think it's not a clean idea. I think one of the, one of the main things of mine is like a sense of, like I say, us being custodians, people in the present are custodians to ideas that will, travel throughout time we are we're just kind of we're guests we're guests in the timeline but these ideas and concepts and things they need nurturing and they need constant care and they're bigger than us right in the same way that like you look after an idea like you look after a child and marcus aurelius realizes he's failed in in that respect both with rome and with his own child um so I think there's there's something in that, but I was kind of looking at it. So betrayal and revenge is definitely you know one of the big kind of themes in this. With you've got like Maximus who has been betrayed by Commodus in the start, but then seeks that revenge against him. Um, you've got you know Commodus betraying his own father, killing him. You've got his sister betraying him to try and usher in the peace of the Senate. But then you've also got, I was thinking about, you've got what strength, as they call it, but duty and honour. Um, as we've sort of spoken about, Maximus is loyal. He's loyal to the sea. He's loyal to Marcus Aurelius, and he's loyal to the idea of Rome, of, of what it is, the light, as he calls it. Um, he will he'll do anything, even to sacrifice his own life, even though he has his wife and son there at home for him he, he keeps going back to those wheat fields that, uh, that they have at their house that's this happy place he wants to be back there but he needs to be here on the battlefield and he almost feels cheap asking Marcus Aurelius if he can if he can leave the army you know um I guess freedom is part of it freedom because you know the slaves freedom Proximo gets his freedom um you kind of you your so I'm just looking at the character. I, this is one of those things I, I never picked up the character's name in the thing, but um, German Hansu's character Juba, you know he's he's yeah, talking about. Do we about, ever hear his name said? In I the don't film? think so. I don't think so. Because I was thinking that as well. So I don't yeah. know what his name is. Amazing character though. That's such a cool yeah. character. And he, you know he's sort of saying, my country's down there somewhere. You know, it's somewhere there, and it's. I guess this 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 sense that people were trapped. You know, they weren't. I mean, Maximus is. You know, he's been taken away because he collapsed at the grave of his wife and child. You know, um, he's just been taken into slavery, and I guess he doesn't fight against it because he feels that he's got nothing to live for anymore, right? Um, and I guess finally, I, w- I would say, it's, I guess it's on sacrifice, but redemption as well you have marcus aurelius that wants his redemption he wants to he wants forgiveness for the life that he's led um 
He knows he's not going to get it from his children, but can history reflect kindly upon him? He doesn't want to be Marcus Aurelius the tyrant. He wants to be Marcus Aurelius the man that gave power back to the people, to the Senate. It's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't, like I say, I can't nail it down, but those are the type of, like, I would say some of the, the themes, and I think they're all at play. And to me, isn't that kind of what makes it an epic? The fact it has yeah, all I these think so. different things swilling about? Yeah, and I, I think... I think the fact that we go from these unbelievably intense fight scenes to um a scene like the um a scene like where Commodus is reading to his his nephew uh, the the busy little bee story Oh it's horrible isn't it it's haunting. It's, it's, it's vile, and it, like he's so mm. sinister and so evil. But it's such a gear change, you know. It's such a bang, yeah, like from one into the other, and then you you kind of get these different kind of rhythms within the film and the the deviations in terms of the the intensity, and you you suddenly sort of sense of fear and a sense of panic juxtaposed with this sense of just absolute electricity when he's i mean maybe we should come onto it now but the scenes in the coliseum with the 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 the, i mean the fight scenes with the chariots and when he sort of says if we i think he says it earlier on doesn't he in the in the kind of are you not entertained bit where he says if we if we go together we all live if we if we fight together we all live so by the time they get into the Colosseum, hopefully I've got my timings right. By the time they get into the Colosseum, it's just it, it, it's it's like you're watching your favourite team do their thing. You know, it's yeah. so it's like you said. You know, you, when you said when you said like he's got the sword in his hand, you're like, get him! Like, come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. get get him now. Um, when you're watching it, you're kind of you're sort of you're almost cheering them on. You know, you're kind of like watching the way in which they'll go and take down these these opponents. It's it's so um, it's almost overwhelming. You can't help but be overwhelmed by it and and completely drawn in. Uh, and again, a large part of that is because they do these kind of cutaways to the crowd, and they have gathered sixty or seventy people there at the same time, and 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 the camera will shoot through seven or eight people's arms. You know, so often you'll have shots where you feel like you're in the crowd watching this on, so watching on from a from a distance, and it's it's so like you said, it's it's, it's epic, it's so epic. Um, it's just it, for me those those scenes are you kind of almost you, you're on the edge of your seat, but you are at the same time settled in your chair, just completely over to just overtaken by this this incredibly epic experience it's just so so incredibly well done it, it's I, I at the time there wouldn't have been anything on that level that also manages or managed to just suddenly in a heartbeat switch up and you're mm. having this deep chat between proxima and maximus about freedom or you're having the chat between um Commodus and Lucilla about about the idea of not being able to sleep at night. You know that he's afraid of the dark, and he can't sleep. And and then equally, you have that kind of idea of legacy thrown in there. I was, as well. I was literally going to say I've forgotten about legacy, and that's one of the big, big, big parts as well, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, I mean, seeing the, 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 there was, the scenes with the nephew are actually really, really powerful. I did, I'd completely forgotten about them. You know, even when Maximus is having the chat with him through the jail cell and he kind of realises who he is. Yeah. That, that you, you suddenly gives it a whole, a whole other dimension because you're seeing that where this potentially is going to go and that if Commodus gets his way, he's kind of almost going to have an air that he's going to corrupt from moment one. It's, it's amazing. So, so incredible. Um, and I suppose the other thing, just while we're on the... The, the Colosseum stuff. Um, the other thing that we get is a really, really satisfying ending. You know, when you have that many themes, it's so hard to tie them all together. You know, it's so hard to kind of drag all of those themes and then leave an audience satisfied with all of them. Like you don't come away thinking, oh, they didn't really finish that bit off though. You know, he it's so neatly tied together. Can I, can I be that guy? Go on. You know, one of the things that stuck out like a bit for me this time on watching it, and this is the first time I felt this because I've always loved it and I've always loved how it's tied up. I suddenly thought this time it's like the very, and I love this movie, but the very, very ending of it, right? So Maximus going into the Colosseum against Caesar, against Commodus. I suddenly thought it was a bit silly this time. And I suddenly thought it was... Oh, really? It, yeah, I suddenly thought it flew in the face a bit of a lot of the work that they were laying out that this kind of sense that, like, we shouldn't be... We shouldn't let our kind of, like, our, our demons engulf us in some ways, right? And the fact that they, he was sort of saying, I have my vengeance in this life or the next... But really, his sort of his happy place was to be there with his wife and his child. He did want his revenge on Commodus. And I read afterwards when I was when I was watching the film, I was kind of looking at the what the historical kind of accuracy or isn't is like present in the film. And Commodus was he was this kind of cruel and unpleasant Caesar after Marcus Aurelius, and he was assassinated ultimately. And after his assassination, Rome fell into like a big, a huge period of instability. It was civil war. There was there were like four different rulers or something after this point. Um, so Commodus, you know, they they have captured that in him, and he was killed. But I just suddenly thought, like, would this would would this? And I know it's a film. I know you have to suspend reality, but it just suddenly like it just took that leap for me, where I suddenly like, I almost feel that like. They haven't just like Ridley Scott, love him as do, like he almost hasn't justified this. He almost hasn't justified why the Caesar, the Emperor, would be in the Colosseum with the Grunt. Because everything that's been outlined before is shown his disdain for this type of stuff. Uh, he wants to Commodus wants to win the crowd. He wants to the love of the people. But nobody's ever loved him. His father didn't love him, his sister doesn't love him, Maximus doesn't love him, the people don't love him. You know, and I feel that like everything about the character was saying, oh, well, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm above all this. I'm above these kind of concerns. He doesn't get into the battle. I don't think it's because he's scared. And like you say, it's, it's quite interesting. You see him fighting, but I don't think he was scared to be in battle. I think he thinks he's, I have to be an emperor. I'm above this. I'm a, I'm a god amongst these people. I don't get in the trenches and fight with them. 
I tell them when to fight. Um, and I, I just, that ending, I just kind of thought, if Commodus had been, he could have still, the ending could have been done. Like they could have, they could have somehow, you could have tied it in with a certain amount of historical accuracy that somehow Russell Crowe's plan, where he was conspiring with the other soldiers and such, ends in the death of Commodus. You could have done it that way. The fact they placed it in the middle of the Colosseum, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, it's only this time I felt it, but I just felt it was, it just felt a bit silly. And like everyone coming around him and carrying him out it felt right, okay. like a real tonal shift it really it just felt really out of place to me i, I maybe i'm completely like no, no am no, i no, triggering no. you, you, you am i triggering you, you? no you've you, you you you've taught like i, I was kind of in and out because i'm halfway between what you what you were saying and something else but where you've absolutely nailed this for me is that scene at the end is almost hang on we haven't done any cheesy stuff like where it's been like and now who will help me carry this man you know it's it's been sort of don't get me wrong there's there's quite camp bits in there and lots of kind of um like swords and sandals classic stuff but it didn't feel like there was any kind of I don't know, I kind of felt like because they'd done so much in terms of there being a crowd everywhere and it feeling real and nothing really is CGI with the exception of the Colosseum and a few birds flying across it and bits like Mm. that. It all felt very kind of like you could feel the earth in your hands kind of stuff. Um, And then suddenly that was a bit, that was a bit like, really? We're we're just kind of going to gently carry this guy out? It's a bit weird. But where I... Did I did like that he went in, but in into fight. Commodus went into fight Maximus because for me his character represented so much about rejection. Mm. Like his dad didn't want him, his sister didn't want him. He didn't have an heir for himself. He's desperate. He sort of says, "Maximus, I embrace you like a brother." And Maximus is like, "Yeah, whatever. I don't really care." <laughs> and then the people can't stand him either you see as he comes in they've kind of almost had to fill out the 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 coliseum or they have to fill out the this the city with people who don't really want to be there um so he's been rejected so many times over that to him he's desperate to be loved he's desperate to be told that he's good enough because his dad has said to him you are not good enough it's my fault but you're not good enough. So he's mm. desperate to have this kind of acceptance and the only way that he can get it, and that's why I was saying about momentum, is because the momentum has shifted. Maximus is now, the audience is reflecting what Marcus Aurelius says at the beginning of the film. They're like, we found the guy that we like. This is who we want. And the only way that he thinks he can overcome that is to kill him. But he's, there's no way he's going to do that hand to hand he's got to stab him literally in the back you know he's got to stab him in the back so that he can so that he can sort of like kill him in the front almost and 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 have this big display but ultimately it's it's maximus that that kills him in the front and one of the other things with that sorry to kind of sidetrack did you no i saw a thing online saying that maximus is drowning that he's not actually he's dying because he's drowning because his lungs are filling with blood oh really and that and that's why he has this kind of like um they're trying to show that kind of flickering of him kind of like going in and out of 
the last throes of consciousness yeah um and him kind of like drifting away and kind of coming back and i did like that i did like i i i i needed that kind of nourishment from that scene you know i i I know it's quite simplistic, but for me, it's kind of like, you know, when you eat a really good meal and you're like, I'm full, but like if the right dessert was on the menu, I'd have something. <laughs> and yeah, they come yeah. out and they're like, oh, yeah, we have got a creme brulee. And you're like, oh, for God's sake, <laughs> fine. And then you, you eat it and you sit there and you sort of rub your belly and you're like, yeah, that was everything that I wanted it to be. I'm fully satisfied. Then I can go home now and just kind of lie there in, in disgust with myself that I am this full. But it, yeah. that was what it was for me. It was a kind of like totally satisfying ending, albeit very cheesy with the way that they kind of went about it. Yeah, yeah, I'll get on board with that. <laughs> you totally are not having that one, are you? Like I don't. No, I, I, I know is... what you mean. I do know what you mean. I just I, there's still just something about. I just think there's there's a bit of mixed messaging in there, like it and it. It's clunky dialogue as well, isn't it? It feel you you feel it change. Yeah, and I, I just it's sort of like. You know, Maximus is kind of like his his destination where he wants to be is back with his his wife and son. It's almost like, don't let that. I don't know. It's it's maybe I'm just sort of letting too much of my own sort of personal stuff bleed into it. But it's like, don't let that bitterness consume you. You know, just it's oh, what, it is a revenge fantasy as well, though. Did you feel that so. Maximus's character? It was frustrating that Maximus's character kind of had been this kind of stand up guy. And then by the end, he just is descended into the same thing that he doesn't like. Yeah, the sort of the Terminator, you know. And it's almost yeah. like he he couldn't find that peace until he killed Commodus in this life on the next. And it was kind of, you know, like Marcus Aurelius is. Um, I can't find the character's name. Lu- Lucilia's like her her character when she first sees Maximus down in the dungeons. And he's all like, you betrayed me. And she's kind of like, you know, you used to be, you used to be a man, you know, you used to be, you stood for something, you know, and she just sees him now, this kind of almost foaming at the mouth beast. And it kind of, so they were showing that they were showing Maximus's descent into like this animalistic sense, hell bent on revenge and everything. And so I just thought the payoff being, well, his revenge is to kill him in the end. When, like we say, historically, and it's not, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be historically accurate. I, I get that it is still a story. But what I'm saying is, history already shows us that Commodus was, he was murdered, he was assassinated, he was killed because people didn't like him, and we already had the end to that. Like we had the story where Maximus is actually working with the Senate, working with the people again to bring about the, you know, to stage a coup, to overthrow Commodus. And the fact they kind of, they, I think, I don't know if it was a decision made in the last minute, if if Ridley Scott was flipping between one or the other, but they chose to just have that payoff in the Colosseum, the one-on-one. It just, it felt, it just felt a little, I don't know, not as sophisticated as the rest of the film. Should that, I put that it that way? I totally agree with that. I totally agree with, and that is such an astute kind of pick out, um, because I do think it is a shift. You're right. I do think it is a, it's a kind of, 
there is so much that's so seamless about this film. And that one does feel like someone has kind of clunkily put a car from first into second gear or from fourth gear into fifth gear almost. And sort of they struggle to get it into gear and then clunk it in and you hear that. But and then you, you know what it's like, mate. You, you, you work in production. Like there's, what, it, what it said to me is, and it's, this may not be the case, but it also it opened up the possibility to me that that's the type of thing where the studio are like, nah, this has to have a payoff. Has to be one on one. Has to be him against him. This is the this is the thing. So it's just like fuck it. Give them what they want. Give they finance. You know you can imagine it. The, the phone calls, the meetings, that this. I'm creating this scenario completely. I, I have no, no idea. No, but if I, this know is what you mean. I know what you mean. I know. But it's mean. one of those things where they're like the studio just wants Russell Crowe against Joaquin Phoenix fight to the death at the end of all this, and it's like whatever. Give it to them. Give them the. Yeah. Give them the Hollywood ending fine but, that, you know, but that's what it that, felt like to me that's the only thing i would say like yeah and on, on, on top of that you know you'll often be in these situations where you're like how do we get from we, we've got from point one to point nine but we need to get from point nine to point ten you know we've mm. found this path and sometimes you get so far down the line and you're like I know from how to get from point ten to eleven, but there's this there's this gap, you know, mm. we're missing the natural flow mm. that that's just not quite coming here. And if you're getting if you're getting that pressure, I mean, this we are really picking hairs, obviously, because this is a yeah. wonderful film. But sometimes you do just have those those gaps in a production where you're like, this is not going to be quite as smooth as every other step. And it's kind of like perfect is the enemy of good, right? You need to get there. You need to get to the end of the film. But, it, but there is, that for me is probably one of the only parts of the film that actually, where I did notice a, a slight shift and a slight change. Um, I, I'm conscious of time, so I do feel like we need to yeah. go on to one of the most important parts of the film, which is the score. Hmm. Have you been listening to it on repeat this week? Uh, mate, I always listen to it and I always have done. <laughs> I've always, I, I love it. It's one of those ones I'll put on in the back. I, like I've said before, I often put on film scores when I'm like yeah. just working, you know. Yeah. Um, what are some of your favourites? What would you recommend? Like if you, like if people want to. I mean, the hand Simmers are always great, right? Like, yeah. I mean, pick. Pick pretty much any of Hans Zimmer's scores. They're brilliant. Pick pretty much any of John Williams' scores. They're brilliant. Um, but if you want a couple more off the slightly beaten path, um, what was it called? Uh, so Netflix had a series. Um, what was it? Godless. Remember? Did you ever see the show Godless? I didn't, but I, I, I heard multiple people kind of pick it out. There's some homework for you for this week, mate. Godless is brilliant. If you like a Western, it's one of the oh, best bit that. Westerns I've ever seen. Like, it's it's brilliant. It's I won't talk about it too much because we're talking about Gladiator now, but it's brilliant. But the score to that is one that I'll often listen to. Um, the there's, there's very random, but a, a film with Benedict Cumberbatch um, called The Electric Life of Louis Wayne, um, which was all about the 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 well yeah the um the artist louis wayne who drew 
painted all the cats. You'll have seen them. Like, he was a Victorian painter and he painted cats, but in this very psychedelic kind of way. But the score to that um, by Arthur Sharp is one that I particularly like. Um, Ex Machina score is brilliant. Oh, Ex uh, Machina score is unbelievable. It's so, so dark, you know? Yeah, um, it is, isn't it? But but I, I'm the same as you. I would I love the idea of um, work it. Well, I, I, I will often be working and I'll have a film score running in the background. It's yeah. such great music to work to, isn't it? It's amazing. Anyway, Hans Zimmer. I mean, this is this is really almost best practice, isn't it? It's kind of like about as good as it gets. Well, he still says his his the greatest work he's ever done is Interstellar. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, I'd probably agree. I think Interstellar is one of the big, big ones I will listen to quite a lot. I think it's an amazing score, start to start to finish. Um, but this is this is great. This is still brilliant. Especially like I said, it just it gets me every time. It just the way the track of the wheat goes into the battle is just like, oh, it's just so good. There's just so much emotion in there, and it's so raw. And I think it's it's one of those. There are some scores that are just completely inseparable from the movie itself. Maybe the battle is in this, but I would say if you actually listen to the Gladiator score, it's just great music it's just really emotive um so i don't think um, what i'm saying is it doesn't take away from it that i don't just think oh that's gladiator you know there are some yeah the jurassic the jurassic park score is just jurassic park you think that every time right that's all you can see but when you actually listen through all of gladiators like the sort of the the various tracks if you want the the rhythms of it and everything it's it's not you know you're not just thinking about people kind of (laughs) bloodthirsty battle scenes and stuff like that it's just good ambient strong music it, I don't know it but makes that, me feel that was there's a sort of vibe of spirituality to it does that make yeah. sense that sounds yeah like well me. particularly because of the, the um, is it Lisa let me look on Spotify Lisa Gerard, who does the vocalisation sure. which is it's it's unbelievable you know but that that point that you made was was I I, I mean I think it's super intentional, right? The idea that he can drift from one song that feels quite kind of gentle and smooth and almost um, almost kind of like quite reflective or downbeat or sad um, to then suddenly the same music and you're into a battle scene or you're into something really dark and really sinister and ominous. Um, and again, you know, I was saying about that thing that I watched earlier on. So he he had a, a point that he made that he said that there was, he wanted all these different themes. He wanted to have all these different themes. And within the first 15 minutes, he says, I think he does every single one of the themes. So he said the first 15 minutes of the film, he wanted to be an overture. So you kind of got all of it in in this kind of really intense bit, which takes us right the way through that, that opening battle. Um, and then he goes and examines them all again, one by one, which is really cool. Like I didn't even realize until I'd seen this interview, I didn't realize that he'd done it. You know, I didn't even, because, and I guess that's the sign of something that is just as magnificent as this, score is that you don't even realize what it's doing to you but it's telling a story on its own and it's just moving you in a way that you kind of don't really because I, I found myself sitting there being like this is incredible this is amazing but I didn't 
realised it was doing what it was doing to me, which I absolutely yeah. adore in films. It's one of the best yeah, yeah. things about watching all these back is trying to find these nuggets and these details and you're like, oh my God, I was being completely manipulated by a composer <laughs> and I didn't even realise. It's just so cool. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Who's the, uh, who's the standout performer for you, mate? Mate, I almost wanted to give it to Hans Zimmer. <laughs> like, oh. I, genuinely, I genuinely was like, can we give it to a composer? It's kind of like, it, it's it's such a such an incredible score um, but I uh, I think for me it's Joaquin Phoenix in this what about for you it's really tough isn't it man like I, he's not on screen for long but Richard Harris like I say is just it blows me away his portrayal of Marcus Aurelius at the start that kind of the conflicted the dying emperor you've got obviously Oliver Reed, his final performance, Proximo. It's 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 really very tragic. Um, the story of Oliver Reed's death on this film. I was I was reading about it that he had obviously had a, a very troubled life with addiction, um, alcohol, namely, and for the, this movie was something of a redemptive arc for him as well. He had pretty much like knocked the booze on the head, apparently. And was really focused on kind of getting back into his acting. I mean, because he's masterful. You know, the scenes mm. he's in as Proximo are, are brilliant. And I, I've, I saw a few people say, oh, it's a bit too theatrical. It's a bit too camp. But no, I think it's, no, I think no, it's no, fitting. No. I think it's, it's, it's fitting. Perfect. Um, but he, they ended up, while they were, I, think, I believe they were filming in Morocco. Um, and while they were in Morocco, they, they were in a, a bar, like a hotel bar. And there were a load of British soldiers stationed there. Um, and, oh, it's Ollie Reed. Oh, Ollie Reed. And they'd all seen him on the telly. Or, you know, we've all seen it on It'll Be Alright on the Night in those kind of days when we'd laugh at somebody with an addiction problem on television. It'd be entertainment for us. Ha ha, look at this man falling to pieces on national television. We've all laughed at those before. It's only now in the past few years I'm suddenly like, fuck, that was really fucked yeah, up. M- messed up, man. Right, you I know? Mean, do you remember Johnny Vegas? Yeah, all jo- of it, Johnny man. Vegas going think, through that. Amy Winehouse. Like, Amy Winehouse yeah. on Nevermind the Buzzcocks. We're all pissing ourselves, you know, when she's there spitting on the set and kind of burping because she's so drunk. And it was all a big laugh, you know. Um, but yeah, Oliver Reed, so he's in this hotel bar and he just got, I think he just got egged on to, to do like a, a drinking contest. Um, he was drinking shots of whiskey against, I think, sailors or soldiers or something like that. And just ended up having a heart attack and dying. His body just couldn't take it. And it's it's just really tragic. And for anybody, I think it's one of the kind of the most known facts about this movie, but he died halfway through production. Um, and many of the scenes toward the end of his were altered or changed or cut down. And you can see that. That's one of those things I noticed when I watched this back now. You can see how Proximo was such a, an integral part of the story and then just suddenly disappeared from it. Yeah. And it's quite yeah. obvious as to why that's that's the case. Um, but it's a real shame, and they actually used an amount of CGI to 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 realise some of the final scenes they needed for him. And I think they've done it quite well. The only one where it's glaringly obvious to me is uh, right at the end when he lets Maximus out when they're behind the gate, and Maximus yeah. says to him, "Like, are you in danger of becoming a good man, Proximo?" Because he doesn't really say anything. His his lines come off screen, and you can tell it's not Oliver Reed's voice. 
and when he's actually on screen he's just going like mm, and like moving his head a bit and stuff like that so it's yeah it's quite clear then but he's he yeah i mean you you, you can't talk about this film without oliver reed in there um russell crowe is i just think <laughs> he it, it's so brilliant because obviously now we're so like conscious of like toxic masculinity and all these type of themes but i think the the character maximus there yeah i i get it i, I get it he's he's kind of there's something in it for i feel it myself i'm sure plenty of other blokes do there's that kind of like man's man vibe about russell crowe right that kind of like strong headstrong renegade i'll do what i want but i do it for something bigger i don't do it because i'm this egotistical kind of bastard and maximus has, has kind of nailed that to a to a T and Russell Crowe has got that. And I think the, the emotional depth in his performance is fantastic. Like the bit when it's, it's quite horrible really when you see it, but when he's there at the foot, the feet of his crucified oh, wow. charred yeah. wife and you see all the snot pouring out of his face. Like it's, 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 it's horrible for many reasons, but just, he's so in that moment that you think he's not just like this meathead action star. Like this is like, this is a strong performance. And like the way, I love the way like when he's he's talking to his soldiers and it's that line before the battle with the the, the Germanic sort of soldiers at the start. If you find yourself alone riding in the green fields with the sun on your face, do not be troubled for you're in Elysium and you're already dead. You know, he's telling that kind of joke and they all have a good laugh about it. And it's like, I just, I like the kind of the patterns in his behavior because before he's just been talking to Quintus in a very serious, like matter of fact fashion about yeah. the battle and what they're going to do. It's, showing his kind of power as a leader um but you know and, and again like we say connie nielsen as well as as lucilia as lucilia lucilia i'm not sure how he said but her performance as this kind of a woman who's been so marginalized by that society how she's just told by her father you you'd be a great caesar but you know fortunately you know you don't have the yeah the, the necessary appendage um so <laughs> soz you know, and her just having to kind of deal with this life of being sidelined by just this weasel of a brother of hers who, you know, wants to possess her, wants to, you know, he wants, he's incestuous. His feelings towards her are incestuous. And the fact that she has to manage his ego and try and push him in a way to do something that's for the for the good of Rome, she she performs that brilliantly. But long story short, mate, I agree with you. Whacking Phoenix for me. Oh, really? I he... thought you were going to go Russell Crowe. No, Whacking Phoenix is fucking terrifying in this film. <laughs> he nails that. We, we, I'm sure we all know that type of person. And maybe they, they don't all manifest in the same way that Whacking Phoenix's character does. But we all know those type of people that you just have to be on eggshells around that are a kind of loose cannon. And he, he just nails that. He nails it so brilliantly. I'll give you a proper 90s example of this this person. This is the person who doesn't really talk at school, but they're really, really hot on MSN Messenger. You know? <laughs> yeah, that that, yeah, that yeah, person, yeah. you're like, they're, they're out of nowhere, somebody like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he sort of is, I don't know, chatting to that person over there, like loads, and you're like, he doesn't talk in real life. And then suddenly he's kind of like just always about, you know, and you don't trust them and you feel on edge around them. And yeah. another thing with him, he had a little thing that I, I was like, why is his, 
it must be intentional. Like, why have they given him such heavy makeup on his eyes? Like, he looks so ghoulish and sort of yeah. like purple yeah. and red, and then sort of click this this point around him not being able to sleep. You know that he's not sleeping at all, and that's why he looks so almost demonic and and and, and ghost like. Um, and he just is so hateable. You know, he's so brilliant at it. And Joaquin Phoenix is. I mean, uh, he's done so many incredible films now, hasn't he? Where he's been so many different things. But this is, this is, this portrayal of someone that you're just supposed to despise. He ju- he doesn't miss a beat, does he? He kind of every little bit about him, you find yourself squirming or feeling uncomfortable about. It's it's magnificent. Um, right, let's do the the big one, mate. Fine wine or war crime? Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say fine wine. I don't really see anything. Please correct me if I'm wrong, mate. But I don't really see anything that objectionable. This was a challenge for me this week. Yeah, yeah. This was a challenge for me this week because it's been the first one that I've watched where I've sort of gone. I've sort of, you could argue, kind of like perhaps the depiction historically is not necessarily accurate. Um, I think perhaps there might be a question in terms of the diversity of the cast in that really there's there's not a huge amount of, of diversity in the cast whatsoever. Mm. Um, we see G1 Hounsley's character, but he's one of next to no div- characters from a, a, a black and Asian or an Asian background. Um, but other than that, as a depiction i think it's just it's because like we said it's been shot and created as an epic there's not too many things that that sort of fall down i i didn't watch this and go do you know i'll if i had to if i had to pick out one thing you know when they sort of play with the frame rates and do that kind of yeah slight bit of motion blur the, that is that feels a little bit nineties. He, he loves that. Ru- he loves that Ridley Scott, and they do that in um, Lord of the Rings as well, which yeah. irritates me a lot. Uh, yeah, and then there's a, that kind of weird Hitchcock effect that he does at the end when um, Russell Crowe's sort of Maximus is dying, and he's kind of like sort of floating, almost. Mm. And I, but honestly, I mean that really is me being a pedantic, like sausage. Um, well, I'll I tell you what, if you think you're being pedantic, mate, you're in for a surprise when we do these ratings. Oh, hit me. What have we got? So IMDb, strong start, 8.5 on IMDb. Yeah, so that's good. Because when I listened back to Casino Royale, I sort of forgotten that it, I think it was only an 8. Mm. And I was like, oof. So 8.5, good start. Rotten Tomatoes, 80%. What is it? What Can you see what's been picked out as to why... People have sort of not gone so for it. Stephen Hunter of the Washington Post. Let's have a look at some of the rotten reviews, right? Stephen Hunter of the Washington Post. It's an honourable movie. So are they all honourable movies? But that's not enough. It's not great. It's a disappointment. Okay, there's not much there. Um, here we go. What? Paul Sherman. Paul Sherman from the Bostonian says the way the movie repeatedly drives home the motivations for Phoenix's paternally scorned neurosis. And Crow's proud victim becomes repetitious. You think they could have brought some more shading to the characters in 160 minutes? Kind of fair. Kind of fair. 
Um, Harry Sheenan say, of the Orange County Register says, there is a plot, but it is at once so derivative and so undernourished that it never really registers as a story. As far as it goes, it's Spartacus Light minus the epic moral <laughs> grandeur. Don't agree with that. I think that's that's Spartacus too... Light. Yeah, I, I don't really agree with that. Um, but a few of them, I think they just see it as all quite derivative and not really anything new. But I don't think that's fair because Spartacus was what made in the sixties. Like, yeah, and I mean, I, I think... guess we kind of have touched on this point to some extent in in our conversation around the ending, and that we, we, it was tying up a lot of bits that maybe when you kind of get to the heart of it that you're sort of looking at and going okay he's gonna he's gonna kill Joaquin Phoenix's character straight out of revenge as opposed to being as deep as we thought it possibly Mm. was perhaps Mm. although I'm giving them way too much credit there I think some of that's absolutely nonsense that first that first one I'm not having that Oh, it's absolute bollocks. Uh, absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Absolute bollocks. So what was, um, what was, uh, was it Metacritic? We haven't done. Metacritic, mate. 67%. Oh, come on. Like, that is. Wow. Come on. And I'm no assuming badge. no badge. No badge. I'm no badge. a bit pissy about that. If I'm on it, I'm actually folding my arms. You can't see, but I'm sort of actually a bit peeved. Now, that. do you think I'm wondering if this is one of those things that if you'd have watched this movie first at this age now, if you would have been more scornful? Is this one of those movies that we're wrapped Great up in the nostalgia question. of the whole thing? Great question. It's the first big blockbuster we saw like this in our lives where it's like epic and it's all these kind of things that we've learned about in history books at school and been bored sick to death of at that time anyway when you're a kid and then suddenly you're like oh wow look all this that's what the Colosseum was you know it's that's a good point yeah but I think it's not fair to I think it's not fair to disassociate it from the time in which it was created where epics yep. weren't being made like this. Mm. Like the the epics of that time, I was watching a thing this week, the epics of this time, things like Independence Day, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the idea of doing a swords and sandals epic in this way and with this kind of layering, I feel like it's not, I don't know. I, 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 I think possibly, I think in order for it to work, if we were someone was making this in 2023, I think they'd have a much harder job on their hands. Well, they're, put it they're going. They are making it in 2023, oh, mate. Oh, well, Slated our guy, be, our boy. Yeah, Slater to be. I'm, Ooh. I'm, mate. I'm all here for it. Ridley Scott's showing he down? can still pull the. Yeah, I am, mate. Yeah. If it's if it's if it's what Scott wants to do, let him do it. Let, Is let Denzel him cut, in going to be in this? Kids say. I'm not sure. I don't know. I've I've only heard Paul Mescal. I've heard Paul Mescal, Barry Keoghan and Denzel Washington. And I'm like, that's oh, a great sick. start. That's sick. a great start. I'm here but, for um, it, man. I'm here for it. I love no, a, I love a historical epic. And well, I, I'd one interesting one. Lawrence Topman from the Charlotte Observer said, it ends with the corniest convention of all, an absurd mano a mano between good and evil. There you go. Uh, there you we, go. Called it. we called that one. We called there that one. There you go. Um, it's kind of yeah. sometimes it's quite nice, isn't it, when when someone kind of confirms 
the things that you sort of you're like, oh, that's a bit uncomfortable for me. And then someone else goes, it's a bit uncomfortable for me. And you sort of think, yeah, well, that's all right. <laughs> you know, it's sometimes it's quite reassuring. Like often if you come out of the cinema and you have the conversation with someone who's kind of seen it differently to you and then you speak to someone else about it and they were like, no, I saw it like this. And they're like, uh, and they say a similar thing to you. It's really quite satisfying. It's really yeah. like, nice thing. How many popcorns are you giving it, Ben? Uh, I'm, look, it, for me, it was a five primarily because I was able to sit there all over again and be completely moved by it in the same way you know yeah. it didn't skip it didn't it didn't it hadn't changed for me in the sense that i was sitting there and i didn't it runs long and i wasn't bored you know we had the conversation about john wick running long and it sort of being a case of you looking down at your phone and working out how long was left not once for me no, so no i'm giving it a five and i'm also saying that if i could watch this at an imax with an unbelievable sound system oh, for hands no. in a score, then that would be the way to do it for me. I, I'm already, mate, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you if I see it because I'm already looking out on the, I keep checking the Prince Charles website to see if Gladiator's going to be in their, in their rotation. Because they mate, show I did it, that exact historic thing. films constantly. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that maybe, because we, we were had a bit of time to watch this one, that maybe you and I would be able to get to like kind of an old school show in somewhere. And the yeah. nearest one was like 50 miles away. And I thought, this is a classic. Like This would be on all the time at certain places, but it wasn't. And I would love one day to go and see it again on a, on a massive yeah, screen with a great sound. It feels like... What like about we... for you, mate? Hmm? Was you was it what, what, what like what was your rating for it? Kind of like where does it come in on the uh, BYOBometer? Let's give it. I'll give it four and a half. Fair. Just for that ending, for the for my for my new view on the ending, I'll give it. I'll give it. It was going to be a five up. But until I do then, like but, that it's changed okay. your mind. I do really yeah, like that. It, it I think just... that's, that's a really lovely thing that it's kind of caught you yeah. and, and added a little asterisk that maybe wasn't there before. Yeah. You know, like we, you would have never really have thought about that. And now you're like, oh, OK, there's a little bit of something there for me. Yeah. So there we go. But all right, mate, before we do go, there's there's a there's a very important question um, yeah, that I put to buddy. you, which is what 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 on earth are we going to be talking about next week? mate? So um, a couple of things missing for me so far. I think we've missed out a couple of a couple of the big boys that that haven't featured so far um i've done the same as you i've got a list an enormous list of films i'm like i want a bit of that and i want a bit of that and i want a bit of that i thought we need something with a little bit of light this week just a little bit of a bit of humor in there but i okay. didn't want to go too silly on the comedy front um so i picked something with a good laugh in there a great story in there, loads for us to get stuck into, and featuring one of my favourite actors of all time, which is Tom Hanks, and we're going to watch Forrest Gump. Oh, hello. Yeah, I'm up for that, mate. Gooey. I'm up for that. Gooey. Yeah, go on, then. Let's get stuck in. Have a bit of that. Um, look, it's been uh, an absolute joy watching Gladiator, and I should be very sad to say goodbye to it this week, but I will still be listening to Hans Zimmer's soundtrack oh, <laughs> so yeah. oh, not yeah. really saying goodbye to it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just cracking on from where we, from where we were um thank you so much for listening as ever uh and if you would be so kind as to subscribe leave a review drop us a five star um it it, it genuinely is so helpful and it's uh it's it's a lovely thing so if you have enjoyed the the pod please do consider it 